Welcome to Movies or Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. Today we are covering the number seven film on the 50 best rom-coms list, Sleepless in Seattle. And much like the movie, I am separated by Miles from today's caller, Miles Kelly. How are you doing, Miles? That's a good pun. I like it. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Nathan? Do- doing well. So, uh, Miles is in South Carolina, and I'm in Oklahoma. And just through the magic of technology, you know, we're able to talk about this splendid film. <laughs> yes, I know. I was like, when you said, I was like, number seven, number seven. Like, are there six better rom coms than Sleepless? I don't think so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, think there, I think there might be one better rom com than Sleepless. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think this is a film and we can get more into it. But I think if you throw it out there, even tonight, I, I was with my family eating dinner and I was talking about, hey, we're going to record this uh, conversation about Sleepless in Seattle. And they all, I mean, not rehearsed, went, oh, <laughs> like, it's that I, kind of movie, right? Yeah. Like yeah. A- Miles and I met our freshman year at Baylor. Uh, mm-hmm. Miles and his other two roommates, I, I think it was the prime spot in one of the dorms in Pinland Hall. And it was like right by this side entrance door that everybody came in and out of. And I might be remembering this wrong, but I feel like you all had your door open pretty much all the time. If one of yes. you were there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 So we, you know, very social a room and so that's how i got to know all you guys and uh, kyle radford was one of your roommates who has obviously yeah. been on this podcast a lot and brian became and one of my best friends as well did, so did you move into the apartment junior yes. year okay oh, so, so you and i swapped spots in the apartment as well right yeah yeah i replaced you i had a really? lot to, i had a lot to live up to you brought no i'm positive you brought a much better vibe <laughs> to that apartment than i did i think uh no, no, no. <laughs> it's probably time for me to go. The people living downstairs from us probably really appreciated. That. Yeah, no that that was that was a great that was a great apartment. But I, yeah. I also credit you all to introducing me to a lot of movies, including Swingers. Uh, and so I, I think it's fair to say you've had a pretty big influence on my life. <laughs> Maybe one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, yeah, definitely on my top ten list. Maybe number one like swingers continues to be a favorite and is it is swingers a rom-com uh possibly well possibly Possibly, right we were talking yeah we were talking like what makes like what is the definition um and i guess it's not really but you could maybe think of it that way i think so i think so especially compared to some of the other films on the list but uh, yeah yes the list is yeah now i want to i actually want to bring up the list again just because i'm forgetting what was on it but i had issues with eh, like some of the movies on there (laughs) okay well uh before we get too deep into it uh let's jump into sleepless in seattle Yes, good call. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Sleepless in Seattle. You call the radio station? Christmas Eve. He phones in one of those radio call-in shows. He tells them that his dad needs a new wife. And the shrinkette practically forces a guy onto the phone and says, Tell me, what was so special about your wife? Well, Dr. Marshall Fieldstone, I think. It was like... Sleepless in Seattle? That's what you call them on the show because you can't sleep. Sleepless in Seattle is a 1993 American romantic comedy drama film directed by Nora Ephron from a screenplay she wrote with David S. Ward and Jeff Arch. Starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, the film follows a journalist, Ryan, who, despite being newly engaged, becomes enamored with a recently widowed architect, Hanks, when his son calls into a talk radio program requesting a new partner for his grieving father. In addition to Bill Pullman, Ross Malinger, and Rob Reiner, the film features an ensemble supporting cast, also consisting of Rosie O'Donnell, Gabby Hoffman, Victor Garber, and Rita Wilson. Sleepless in Seattle was released on June 25th, 1993 to positive reviews, receiving praise for Efron's writing and direction, as well as Hanks and Ryan's performances. The film was nominated for two Academy Awards at the 1994 ceremony, Best Original Screenplay and Best Original Song. Despite competition from several blockbusters released around the same summer, the film was a surprise commercial success, earning $17 million during its opening weekend, the highest opening for a romantic comedy at the time, and ultimately grossing over $227 million worldwide. It was one of the highest grossing films of 1993 and remains one of the most successful romantic comedies in box office history. The soundtrack was also successful, peaking at number one on the Billboard 200. 
Several critics and media publications agree that Sleepless in Seattle is one of the greatest romantic comedy films of all time. This film is also credited with establishing Efron as one of the most celebrated romantic comedy filmmakers. Okay, so Miles, you you said that you uh, hold this in pretty high esteem. Uh, so ha have you seen this movie a lot? Uh, well, so real quick, a side note, the other writers that you mentioned, I just thought this was funny. I, I didn't know this until recently. Jeff Arch and uh, David S. Ward, um, the screenwriters of The Sting, starring Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford. Oh. Um, so that's kind of where they made their bread and butter. And then uh, this this movie, Sleepless in Seattle, was originally um, thought up by Arch, I believe, um, who got the idea after watching... And why am I going to forget the name? Um, an affair? No. Yeah, an affair to remember. An affair to remember, right? Yeah, 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 the one that they're watching, that they keep watching in Sleepless in Seattle. He was inspired by that um, and wrote this romantic drama where the two lead characters don't meet until the end. Yeah. Um, and surprise, surprise, no one wanted to make it. Uh, he took it around <laughs> Hollywood and everybody's like, why would we ever do that? Um, and then Nora Ephron got her hands on it and uh and yeah cashed in her credibility from from when harry met sally uh and and got it made yeah man you're bringing the trivia and the history <laughs> to this yeah well it's you know i just i discovered that um just going back to this movie right because you asked like how do have i seen it a lot um and the answer is sort of yeah like, I think I first saw it when I was about 16, right? I didn't see it in theaters. Um, yeah. But saw it on video, obviously video cassette tape. Um, and uh, saw it at home. And even as a teenager, was totally enamored of it. I just thought it was amazing. Um, even from then, it probably would have been on, you know, my top 10, top 20 favorite movies of all time. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, I think definitely it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And like you probably was uh just saw it just in the moment a lot when it came out and i don't know if i've seen it a lot since then but there's a lot of things so watching it this time a lot of it was new to me but a lot was also very very familiar as well and um mm -hmm. I, I think maybe part of that was probably when the age that we watched it, it this has a pg rating so i feel like maybe this was like kind of like oh uh as far as the family goes, like, oh, this is a romantic comedy we can all watch. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny too, because as a teenager, you know, it had been probably 15 years at least since I've seen it before now, right? So I watched it a lot back then, but then hadn't seen it for probably 15 years until, you know, we were going to do this. And so I went back and rewatched it. And it is very different <laughs> as a married person with children than yes. it is as a teenager, right? It's, I mean, just the opening scene, mommy got sick. It's like, just like rip your heart out. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Standing by her grave in front of the Chicago skyline. It's just, it's very different as, as a father. Cause it, yeah, it just puts you in a very different spot and it's kind of crushing that I would never have really remembered from watching it as a teenager. Cause as a teenager, you're like, oh, death, what's that? Um, having oh. to raise a child by yourself after your wife dies that seems fine yeah well i would say the probably the big appeal to this film and say appeal <laughs> a single father and his son but it really is the interaction i think between hanks and, and his son in this movie uh play jonah uh played by ross mallinger who was also kind of at that time probably like one of those kids you uh, you saw a lot <laughs> but uh a great child actor yeah i think a lot hinges on their relationship and their quote unquote chemistry in this movie for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you totally buy their relationship. Yeah. And, and Hanks is so good at that, right? Hanks is so good at that really natural, like he's sarcastic. He's got some sarcasm with him and they just have this very natural relationship. It's yeah. That's, that is really probably the core of the movie. Yeah. And I, I would say that one thing that <laughs> probably if I had seen this, or when I saw this before having kids, I would have maybe even kind of thought like, man, they sure do have a pretty like open, honest, like, 
conversation, you know, they have these open conversations with each other. That kind of seems a little unbelievable, but honestly having kids now and then thinking about even like if it was just me and them, like for like, like you feel, I feel like the relationship between the father and son would grow probably a little bit more mature than what it naturally would in a kind of quote unquote normal family unit. Does that make sense? It totally does. Right. It would sort of have to almost just if you're going to get through that in a way. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You feel, you feel like once you've gone through something like that, uh, you know, with the passing away of his spouse that you just have to kind of cut through the BS and just, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to just have to tell my kid what, what life is like, because if he's experienced this, like, how are you going to sugarcoat things? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. After that, it's just kind of like the worst thing possible has happened to you. Let's try to move on. Yeah. <laughs> have you happened to, uh, have you seen uh, An Affair to Remember, which this movie is based on, as you had mentioned, but uh, also a film they reference quite a bit. Have you seen that movie before? I have not actually. Have you? I, you know, it's once again, it's been a long time, but I remember, I remember seeing it because of this movie. And I don't remember a lot from it, but I do remember that An Affair to Remember is a pretty straightforward, like romance film like there's not much comedy to it it is just all it's all all the feelings with uh carrie grand and uh deborah carr in it so or deborah yeah, carr yeah right and i think that's kind of why you know often i don't think of sleepless in seattle as a rom-com right <laughs> as it's more of like we said you know the base of it is this tragedy and that's really what kind of moves the story forward is this terrible tragedy that's happened to him. So even though there obviously is a lot of comedy, um, like we were mentioning before, right? Once you get to the Meg Ryan part of it, there's there's a lot of oddball sort of comedy happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as the Tom Hanks side of the movie, it's really just a devastating drama. That yeah. then, you know, when he tries to start dating and things, right, they bring the comedy in at a certain point there. But yeah, I think in my head, it's, it's almost that I don't think of it as much as a rom-com, um, which it is, you know, Nora Ephron, the queen of rom-com, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. In my head, I almost don't think of it that way because it is, there's more depth there than, than even a When Harry Met Sally, right? Where, mm -hmm. which is, you know, maybe the best rom-com ever made. Yeah. But it is the, the, the thrust of When Harry Met Sally is will they, won't they, mm -hmm. right? Right. And that, that to me is the rom-com formula is watching two people who you think should be together, but will they or won't they? Right. Yeah. And um, I think Efron is definitely uh, probably really is doing something different in this film because I, I pulled this quote from her. It says, uh, she said, quote, our dream was to make a movie about how movies screw up your brain about love. And then if we did a good job, we would become one of the movies that would screw up people's brains about love forever. <laughs> and I think that's great because, uh, you know, not, yeah. not only referencing an affair to remember, which I think in, in itself, which is, I think it was kind of unique for a time for a quote unquote romantic comedy, but very much what well, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later, but the soundtrack I think is evoking, uh, I, I think the music's wonderful in here, but it's invoking this like sentimentality throughout the film. It's almost like it's so blatant in how it's doing it that you're okay with it. You, you kind of go along uh, for the oh, ride. Yeah. It's just so earnest the soundtrack. Yes. And you know, another weird thing, my mom had the soundtrack and yes. played it in our house repeatedly. And so yeah. the soundtrack really became a part of my childhood. Um, oh, for so sure. There's, there's even extra sentimentality there as far as the soundtrack goes. Yeah, uh, me, me also. And I would say my parents weren't someone who had like this extensive like music CD collection. Oh, but, no, not at all. Yeah. But Sleepless in Seattle was one of them. And so mm -hmm. when I was uh, pulling up that, you know, writing the intro for this thing and I, <laughs> I read that it hit number one <laughs> on the charts, I was like, oh, that completely makes sense because it was definitely a soundtrack of my childhood, like re-listening uh, to it before the recording this podcast. I, I know all the songs. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. And they're, and they are classics, right? You, like you said, they're just, they're constantly evoking this kind of classical sense of, of romanticism sort of, right? Like wink and a smile and, mm -hmm. and bye-bye blackbird. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, the whole thing is amazing as far as the soundtrack goes. And it's constantly evoking a sense of, of that just imagining 
um, both the concept of like losing, you know, I hate to even say it, losing my wife, but, you know, just kind of trying to raise uh, a kid by yourself, but then also even trying to grasping, getting back into the, uh, the dating world. I think, she, I think Efron does a good job of like, you know, those are two very different things, but it's a natural kind of stage of life that happens. And so, uh, it, it's very interesting, uh, Hank's journey through this thing versus, you know, uh, I keep saying Hank, there, Hank's plays Sam and, Meg Ryan plays Annie. It almost it's feels. Like I you. always just refer to them as Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. At a certain point, the actor is bigger than the parts that they play. So it's kind of like, ah. Yeah. It's Tom but, Hanks and Meg Ryan. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but uh, yeah. Did you, uh, did you connect with those feelings at all of like, oh man, I'm, I, I'm just glad I'm yeah. not in these characters places. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, you know, what's hilarious about the dating thing too, is, I mean, you could make that movie again today. Yes. And yeah. you'd say the exact same thing, right? The, you know, he would have to get on an app now and you know, that would also be torture, but yeah, some of the dialogue with him and Rob Reiner as well, like in the yeah. bar, the, like the tiramisu thing is hilarious. Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll find out. Well, what is it? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. This is, yeah, this that dialogue is so great. Yeah, you could make the same exact situation today. I'm sure, I'm sure they do, right? I'm sure romantic comedies have that I'm just not thinking of. Um, but exact same setup and you'd get the exact same thing so there's kind of a universality to it almost right like mm -hmm. and that was something that was great re-watching it 15 years later is just it holds up it does it, yeah it mean? really does yeah um we've talked about hanks a lot uh, do you like meg ryan in this movie oh meg ryan in this movie was peak meg, meg ryan yes right yeah. you either want to be her best friend or you want to marry her and there's mm -hmm there is no other option it's one of those two right it's it's that same when harry met sally she plays weird quirky characters but just with so much charm yeah there there's definitely a certain uh class about her i think for sure yes oh for sure and then you know you've got male you throw that into you know she was just the queen of this era of of rom-coms and and yeah, you just love her just immediately. You just love her. Yeah, I I had forgotten about. I, I remembered Rosie O'Donnell uh, being in this uh, movie, but I forgot about all the other um, actors that you know are very well known now. You know, including Rita Wilson, who's you know Tom Hanks' wife, and uh, mm -hmm. Victor Garber, and uh, it's Bill mm -hmm. Pullman. I completely forgot he was in this movie because it's such a weird role. It Bill really Pullman's is. role in this movie is so bizarre, and he does it well, but it's so strange. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. um, overall i i mean i i do really i really did enjoy this movie i think the only thing that might hold it up as hold it back from maybe this number one spot is that and i know all movies have their kind of little plot holes and stuff but there was a there were a lot of moments uh, which this. which plot hole are you going to talk about well, well not there, so there's much. one massive one to me that i'm like nah but i just i get over it because i love the movie so much. okay hold, hold on to that uh, Okay. It, it, a plot hole might be like too strong word, but just kind of certain things of like how how Hanks has like a map in his uh, in his house that he can pull down and like it, phys physically show the it distance was the, all the 90s, time. You know, some people had maps. <laughs> you couldn't whip out your iPhone and be like, "Let me show you where Oklahoma is, kiddo." Yeah, yeah, um, and, I, and yeah, it's kind of strange, but it's, yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't have so much. Uh, a problem with Walter so much, but I mean, he's a little just so over the top cringy and I don't blame him, but you know, uh, and it's almost even, I think kind of convenient kind of spoiler at the end. I, he's very understanding of this whole journey that, um, <laughs> that Andy yeah. is going through. <laughs> you know, but. I actually kind of love that part at the end when he is so understanding just because it gives that character something because mm -hmm. he's just so annoying and he's just so obviously beneath her. Yeah. You know, yeah. and just from the beginning, you're kind of like, ah, she's nineties Meg Ryan and you're Bill Pullman with allergies. This is not going to work. <laughs> no. And then I, I kind of love that moment at the end because it really, it gives him a certain dignity that is kind of like, Oh, actually 
yeah. he's he's a worthwhile person. He's a worthwhile <laughs> character. So I yeah, that part is is strange, but I kind of like it just because it is a surprise and it gives him something right, sort of yeah. a, a more weight as a character. Where right. you know, like I said, through the whole thing, it's kind of like, eh, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> she really that's that's her option as '90s Meg Ryan is, <laughs> yeah, this dude who's allergic to everything, and <laughs> he he definitely he definitely would have a Z pack uh, machine now, um, <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> yes, he would. Yeah. Um, so what was that? What was the plot hole that you, you that? Oh, you the massive, were... oh, the massive plot hole for me in the movie is when she goes to see him, when she goes to see Tom yes. Hanks yes. and she walks out into the road <laughs> yes. and he walks up and he's like, hi. And then a truck almost hits her. <laughs> and then it does this stupid cut to the map as she flies back to Baltimore. And it's like, Really? There was not a single other word exchanged there. Not like, yeah. uh, whoa, yeah. you almost got hit by a truck. Are you all right? <laughs> by the way, I saw you at the airport. Like, what's going on? Yeah. This, yeah. Is this a weird coincidence? Like, there's, there's not one other thing that's said. She just, like, flies back immediately. And they, that's, that's my plot hole in the movie. And I've always felt that. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I was trying to think, you know, especially you kind of have to keep in mind of when this movie was made because even essentially her hiring a private investigator to take photos of him. Oh, uh, let's because, get it. Okay. It I, was gonna say this, I was going <laughs> to save this for later, but let's, let's just get into, let's get into that. Okay. Because this is it, to me is great. So like I said, it had been about 15 years since I watched the movie. And, you know, when, when we decided to do this, I just, before I went and watched it again, I just started thinking about it, right? And I was just kind of thinking through the plot of the movie. And I was freaked out because I knew in my head, I was like, one of my favorite movies of all time. This is going to be great. And then I started thinking through it and I was like, what? That can't possibly actually be the plot of that movie, right? <laughs> because if you think if you are not watching movie and you think through not not the Tom Hanks side because the Tom Hanks side is grounded in this tragedy and it's all really good, but the Meg Ryan side of that movie is psychotic. <laughs> it really is. It's <laughs> psychotic. She plays a character who gets the first thing you see is her getting engaged and going to these holly these holiday parties with her new fiance Bill Pullman who's just the worst um and then she hears a guy on the radio and stalks him she misappropriates funds from her job as a reporter <laughs> to stalk him to hire using her newspaper's funds to hire a PI to stalk him and then she uses newspaper funds to fly across the country and stalk him. <laughs> She's a psychopath. <laughs> and no. this, this movie shouldn't work at all. Yeah. Not one bit. It shouldn't work. Yeah. But, but here's like the amazing thing, though, is that I went back and I watched it. And that's not the experience I had at all. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's and it's you know like you you said you know earlier you you told your family you're doing sleepless in Seattle tonight and everybody goes ah <laughs> and that's that's what the movie delivers right is this ah oh, it delivers um it delivers this feeling of magic mm -hmm. and like I said if you think through the plot it is psychotic but in the context of the movie. Meg Ryan is not only not psychotic, she's the hero of the movie because he doesn't know that she exists. Right, yeah. So in the context of the movie, she is the hero who actually jeopardizes everything she has going in life to go be with this man because she knows that they're meant to be together. And I want to talk about how the movie does that because I think it's really, really interesting and kind of genius filmmaking. Um, it's it just Nora Ephron was an auteur, really, mm -hmm. and and the way that they create that feeling of magic is absolutely incredible. Um, 
we could do you want to get into this now i was going to save it for later no but, do it do it okay. you're, good. you're on a roll i love it no it's so it's um it just blew me away as i was watching the movie again because i watched it once and then i went back and i watched it again because you know once again i had thought through this and it's psychopathic and then you watch it and it's magical so i was like what how how do they even do that <laughs> and so i went back and i watched it and so there's a line that tom hanks says when he's on the radio with the you know with a radio therapist woman which is you know he's talking about his wife she gets him to open up about his deceased wife and what he says is you know it was just a million little things that when you added them up meant that we were supposed to be together mm -hmm. but that's not just a line in sleepless in seattle the movie actually does that between tom hanks and meg ryan's characters like the movie actually gives the audience a million little things that you're seeing throughout that aren't even directly connected, but that you're seeing that tell the audience that they are meant to be together. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. Some of them are pretty obvious and some of them are incredibly subtle. Um, like the most obvious one, and this is, I think they make it really obvious because it's the very beginning of this quote unquote relationship, right? Um, but it's when she's in the car listening to him talk to the therapist. Um, is it while she's, while she's first listening and when the therapist is first trying to get him to open up, she says something like, you know, well, I don't mean to pry. And then he says, of course you do. And Meg Ryan says, of course you do. And they say it at the exact same time, right, like yeah, yeah. overlapping. Um, so there's just immediately a moment of like, oh, like eh, the, their brains work kind of similarly, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the most obvious one that's just immediately kind of like, a oh, you know, a tell for the audience, like, they're meant to be together. But then they do that again and again and again in so many subtle ways. Um, so here's kind of one of the most subtle ones that I find really interesting is at the very beginning of the movie, after Tom Hanks' little monologue at the graveside, you then see him in his office in Chicago, right? Hasn't moved yet. And one of his friends comes up and gives him, you know, the card for a shrink and is trying to help him out. But Tom Hanks is obviously just devastated. And then you get this little flashback of him and the dead wife mm -hmm. and Jonah. And what are they doing? Do you remember what they're doing? Honestly, I don't. <laughs> they're going to a Cubs game, right? They're going to a baseball. Oh yeah, yeah, baseball game. That's right. Outside, right? And yeah, right. But that's here's the beauty of it is you don't really, you know, you don't know you're seeing it. Mm -hmm. But you do. So they go to a baseball game. It's the first thing you see of the dead wife. At the very end of the movie, you know, Meg Ryan writes him a letter, right? One of these thousands of women who writes him a letter. And Jonah gets the letter and Jonah's like, I like her. I like her. Right. And that's another thing the movie is doing to show that they're meant to be together is that Jonah immediately connects her from her letter. But when Jonah finally, like they finally reveal a little bit of what she wrote in the letter. And the first thing she talks about is baseball. Mm -hmm. right so it's this little the first thing you see of the dead wife baseball very end first thing that meg ryan says in her letter baseball right they're connecting them in these tiny little ways um in oh during the driving scene right when she's first hearing him she stops at a diner and she goes in and the two ladies behind the counter are listening to the same thing and they're talking about him Right, and they're kind of debating like whether you know he's a disgusting bachelor or whether they think he would be really cute. Um, and you know, it's funny because it's just a side character, but Meg Ryan is there, and so it's making this connection where one of those two characters says, I bet he's got a cute butt. 15, 20 minutes later in the movie, Tom Hanks and Rob Reiner have a whole discussion about how it's right. all about your butt. Yeah. And then Tom Hanks is like, Well, how's my butt? And Rob Reiner looks at it and is like, Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Yeah. but is it cute are we grading on a curve um <laughs> right but it's just like the movie is so subtle in this way it's just constantly bringing these little tiny connections that you don't even know you're seeing really but they're just adding up in the viewer's mind until you 100 percent believe that they are meant to be together yeah. and that it's magic um here's another one is when she's trying on the dress with her mom right so she tries on the, the her mom's veil and she tries mm -hmm. on the dress the mom is talking about how she met Meg Ryan's dad. And she talks about uh, how 
you know, they met wherever and then they went out on the beach and they were walking. And at one point she looks down, they're holding hands. She can't tell whose fingers are whose. So they're right. It's all about touching their hands. And then she says it was magic. Right. Mm -hmm. So then when Tom Hanks is talking to that therapist over the phone, what does he say about meeting his wife? Mm -hmm. I took her hand to get out of a cab and it was magic, right? So it's just like these repeating parallel things in both sides of the story just over and over and over again. Um, my favorite one is really brilliant. It's that scene where, I think it's right after Jonah has the nightmare. So Tom Hanks goes out on the porch of the houseboat and he's looking out into the distance mm -hmm. and then in baltimore right mm -hmm. meg ryan's character goes out on the pier and she's sitting there and looking out into the distance and honestly that would be enough right they're both sort of looking into the distance so you get this parallelism but they go even further than that and what's really fascinating if you really watch that scene they set the camera angles meg ryan is being shot from uh just above right a high shot looking slightly down angled at her and she's looking kind of up and then tom hanks is standing so he's being shot low up and he's kind of looking down at the water and they actually line up their eye lines so that they are not only just parallel sitting looking out at the water they are looking at each other literally yeah when they intercut the shots and it's just, it's a fantastic thing that this movie does and it made me respect it so much more because you end up with this feeling of magic without ever really knowing why but when you go back and put it together it's because they are giving you a million little things a million mm -hmm. little reasons that they are meant to be together and you don't even necessarily pick them up as an audience member not like in you know the front of your mind but it's it's just all kind of collecting back there so then by the end there's no question. Who cares if they're only on screen for two minutes together? Mm -hmm. Hundred percent meant to be together. Yeah, yeah. And man, you you talking uh, about the conversation he's having with the radio therapist at the beginning, and I, I you're like even <laughs> talking me into really no. It, it's it's very understandable why the screenplay was nominated <laughs> for best screenplay because one of the first things that Hanks does when they meet at the Empire State Building is uh hold her hand kind of flashing back to that right. yeah, that oh, conversation. It's, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They take hands to get in the elevator. Yeah. 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 And I think she's brilliant too at, uh, there's the scene where he first sees her at the airport and it had been, a, I think a long time uh, since I'd seen the movie. And I think she was laying these little breadcrumbs, as you mentioned uh, to pay off of this moment. But like when he sees her and his reaction to seeing her, uh, Hanks is amazing in like conveying that in that moment without being too sappy or whatever. But mm. it's been a long time since I've in we've, we've been watching a lot of romantic comedies that when he sees her, one I I didn't remember that he saw her at that point in the movie. But it's also, a surprise, yeah, yeah. But I also was like, I was like, oh my gosh, they're so close to each other. <laughs> like I mm -hmm. been, even even though I know how the movie ends and all that kind of stuff, it's been a while since I got kind of caught up in a moment like that mm -hmm. in the in yeah. this type of movie. And the, the dialogue right there is great too, because yeah. what he's literally saying right as she walks out is there's no such thing as a perfect person. Boop, there she is. Yeah. And he's just kind of <laughs> just staring at her. Yeah. Uh is there any other I I don't know. This has movie, I would say have has lots of good lines and a lot of good dialogue. I, I don't mm -hmm. know about quotes. You, you, you definitely <laughs> mentioned some great ones, but are there any kind of favorite quotes or scenes that you really like in this movie? Oh man. You know, I really, I was really, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I think, but I was so struck by the opening scene when I watched it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't remember it being so heavy, right? I just didn't think it, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was kind of crying like two seconds into it. Yeah. It just opened. I was just, ugh. yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. And and you know, like I said, it hits very differently when you you know are a parent mm -hmm. to be hearing that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mommy got sick. Like that's really all you need to say. And that's kind of the genius of the screenplay too. It doesn't say too much, right? It, there's not some big flowery monologue. Just mommy got sick. Yeah. Oh, just heart wrenching. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, I really picked up on the line once again when uh, Sam Hanks is talking to this uh, uh, 
Dr. Marsha Fieldstone. Tell me what was so special about your wife. Well, how long is your program? A great one. Yeah. I think that's a great line. Also, just from what, you know, that line right there kind of already sums up like his relationship, even though they, they had that little flashback at the beginning, but you mm -hmm. know, that line tells us everything we need to know, you know, about how much in love they were. But yeah. also I think this is a brilliant line because I think you could use this line in just any day life, everyday life or like, you know, uh, do you love your boss? Oh, well, how much time do you have? And the, per person, have? and the person will be like, Oh, and then you don't really have to actually say anything at all. And you don't have to say how much you hate them. I mean, that's good. <laughs> or love them or whatever. Or love but, them. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but, anyway, uh, oh, yeah. actually, you just reminded me of another another one of these little connections. And this is a more obvious one, I would say. But it's um so it's right after the the nightmare that Jonah has, right? So Jonah has a nightmare and he's calling for like mom, mom, mom. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Tom Hanks runs into the room. Um you know, and Jonah's had this nightmare, and then Jonah tells him that he's starting to forget her. Right? He doesn't. He doesn't oh, yeah. feel like he remembers his mom very well anymore. And so Tom Hanks tells him she could peel an apple in one long. Well, ten minutes before that, while Meg Ryan is listening to a rehashing of the radio show, and really the attention is on her face and the emotions that she's feeling, just hearing him again. But what's she doing? She's peeling an apple in one long. I mean, it's just all these little things. We're not even getting into all of them, but the movie does this over and over and over and over until, yeah, you just know as the audience. You just know. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't have to be on screen together. Right. Yeah. They're made to be together. Yeah. yeah. Movie musings. Do you believe in signs or fate? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Um uh wow <laughs> that's a good one uh yeah maybe not signs as much yeah although i love the movie signs <laughs> um but uh yeah fate yes signs no i'll say that yeah yeah are you uh i i feel like i have a, a healthy balance uh mm -hmm. i you know i don't think you know uh, I don't think everything's a sign. If I'm hungry, mm -hmm. I see a commercial advertising pizza. I don't think that's a sign that I should have a pizza pizza. Yeah. But uh, I, I do think there's things in life and there's moments where there's lots of opportunities that seem to present itself that seem a little too like, oh, this is a little odd. This has happened so much. I, I don't know if you've had those type of I moments before. That. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But um, so um, as one... <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in this movie is uh, when uh, Rita Wilson uh, and it starts talking about an affair to remember. She starts openly, you know, crying about this Weeping movie. Weeping at the table. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then they start mocking her by talking about how they cried over watching uh, the Dirty Dozen. Dirty Dozen. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was wondering if uh, a movie has ever made you truly cry or weep. Oh yeah. Oh yes. So many. So, so <laughs> actually, I'll tell you. So no, there's one that makes me like, oh, it makes me ugly cry. And it shouldn't, but it does. Uh, for some reason, it just gives me. But no, before before that, though, I just want to say that is, that's another one of these connections that Sleepless in Seattle makes, right? Because earlier mm -hmm. in the movie, you yeah. see Meg Ryan and Rosie O'Donnell crying over the yeah. same movie. Yeah, and yeah. then later on, after after she sees Rita Wilson and she assumes she's the girlfriend instead of the sister, um, she says that she looked like somebody that she could be friends with. Right. So again, all these little connections. Um, but yeah, as far as crying, so here's it's a Pixar movie. And so that's mainly what I get to watch, right? Is like kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have little kids. And so I end up watching kids' things. Um, the movie, it's not even probably the obvious one. It's Inside Out. No, that's actually Inside that... Out makes me blubber <laughs> like a yeah. child. And I, I have to like leave the room because yeah. I start crying so badly when Bing Bong dies. <laughs> I, I see it. I start crying. So Bing Bong, no. Oh my God. Why? Um, that part. And then the part where like she runs away. And no, that movie makes me like even thinking about it. I'm getting. Yeah. So we should stop talking about it. But that movie makes me. Yeah. Weep like a child. Yeah. That was. What about you? You now you have to tell what. Movie well, you I, I am not lying. I had inside out as in the back of my mind. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, right. I just remember uh, we went and saw that in the theater when it came out. 
and just like yeah, all the adults came out of that movie, you know, just like <laughs> just you know, streaks on their cheeks and it was like red, so red dusty eyes. in that theater. Yeah. And, and all the all all the construction some other time. Yeah, all the kids just kind of looking at us like, what? What's wrong with you all? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that's uh that's definitely the one that top of mind. Another Pixar, just the opening uh, scene of Up. Uh, between Carl, I think that's, that's the main character, great, yeah, and his wife, yeah. just like one one of the greatest montages uh, ever. Yeah, the, the first beginning. twenty. Yeah, the first twenty minutes of Up are a great movie. Um, it's just unfortunate you have to watch the other hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> what you don't like the? I think Up is like a pretty weak Pixar movie. I know we could get into a whole other thing about yeah, like yeah. Pixar about right. the Pixar situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one, that one, the first 20 minutes are so poignant and wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that won't get me too. Uh, what about uh, adult movies that make, yeah, adult movies that make you weep? Oh, man. You know, I'm not even a big animal person, but I remember we saw Marley and me in the theater. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, when animals die, it's, yeah, that's, that's, it, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's uh, tough. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, was there a time? Did, that, did you ever call in to a radio station? I have never. I have never, never. No. Oh, well, <laughs> that was have a quick, you? That was that was a, that was a quick that, no. that was a quick answer. So I feel like I need to yeah. supplement it with a, a story of my own. But no, I definitely listen to the radio a lot. Uh, not like a talk show, you know, uh, radio radio show like in this movie. But I definitely would call in to the contests. Uh, that they would have, you know, your number, you know, their number seven caller or whatever. Yeah. But I remember I won, it was right when NFL on Fox happened kind of around that time that Fox actually became a station and they acquired the NFL. And so yeah. they had this like promo package and I was thrilled because the package included a super Nintendo game of Madden, uh, the Madden nice. video game. And then it I had a hat with the uh, NFL on Fox logo and <laughs> The other thing was this book, and I can't remember the name of the book or who wrote it, but it was this book that a former NFL player had written. And so I'm probably a young teenager at this time. <laughs> I just remember reading the first chapter. And I mean, it's just like all the like just dark, dark stories of like steroids and women and all this kind of stuff. I just remember my parents going like, nope, that book, that book is not for you. You don't need to read that one. Yeah. So apparently the radio station was not concerned uh, about, about my age, similar to this radio uh, station dealing with uh, Jonah, <laughs> you know, so yeah, a little yeah. unethical, but yeah. yeah. Rom-com rankings. You almost kind of sold me higher on my initial feelings, but one heart being the lowest, five hearts being the highest. Uh, what do you rank the romantic chemistry between the leads here? Because I want to, yeah, and that's such a funny question in this yeah, movie, isn't it? Because they're it all is. screened together for two total minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say five of five. And you know, I would add to it um, what you said earlier, which is that the chemistry between Tom Hanks and the son is equally wonderful, and that's a really yes. important aspect as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd give it, I'd give it a, I'd give it a five of five. Yeah, honestly, I, and this is my podcast, right? I can uh, I can change uh, my feelings. I mean, honestly, you kind of you kind of sold me on the five heart. There's lots of moments now that I've been connecting as you were talking, and um, and once again, I I just even the short time that they are together, I, I you you do feel it, and um, mm -hmm. I mean a lot of that is like you said has been built into the screenplay, but I think a lot of it really resides between the two actors that you just. You just see that you just see that connection. Uh, I think especially because of as uh, he he's not necessarily uh, cynical in this movie, uh, Hank's character, mm -hmm. but like you know he's apprehensive, mm -hmm. and then you see how all that drops the moment that he sees her, and so I, I think that definitely um, yeah, without he, really any words or anything, it's right? Just, exactly. Yeah, you just see it. It's, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. So the second category, also kind of different. Uh, I've always labeled it as the best friend or friends. Uh, I I kind of think there's a lot of best friends <laughs> in, in this there movie. There are a lot of them, right? Yeah. yeah. There's Rita Wilson and Victor Garber and Rob Reiner all on Tom Hanks' side. 
on the yeah on the Meg Ryan side, it's more just it's more just Rosie O'Donnell. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what? How do you rank uh, this component to this movie? I mean, I'd give it a five of five again. Um, yeah. And you know, Rosie O'Donnell too. To me, you know, I think she's a pretty great best friend yes. character actor. I mean, I don't. Beautiful Girls. Have you seen Beautiful Girls? Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. All right, cool. She's. I mean, she plays the best friend in that basically. Yeah. And she yeah. has this killer monologue. Um, if if Kyle ever listens to this, he will know what I mean. Um, one of his favorites. Um, but uh, but yeah, she's just she's a classic like best friend character actor who just kills it. Um, and Rita Wilson with the whole monologue, like you said about an affair to remember. Um, so great. And then Rob Reiner with the comedy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He does great just with the randomness. Yeah. He's, he kind of <laughs> disappears halfway through the movie, too. Yeah, he like does. You never actually see him again after yeah. somewhere about halfway. Yeah. Well, you know, he he worked together with uh, Nora Ephron when Harry met Sally. So you know that there's that, you know, relationship there. But yeah, you mm -hmm. do feel a little bit like he's like, all right, Nora, I can give you two days. <laughs> and she's like, then I'm out. I've got better yeah. things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you also. Uh, I, I, five Hearts, uh, not just uh, Rosie O'Donnell's performance, but all the other supporting characters, just because um, they they support the main characters kind of in their quest, even kind of <laughs> push them towards uh, such things for sure. Mm -hmm. And then um, also they're memorable in this movie, but they don't steal the scene. You know, they don't steal the scenes. Like That's a great uh, point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit, but the soundtrack, um five I, of five easy easy five of five for me man it it, it is great it, it's one and i've listened to a lot of soundtracks lately because of this podcast and i really like from track one to the end like they're just they're just all they're all great and they just um uh these songs just have a way of just not just wrapping you into the thinking about the movie but just um i mean i Honestly, if you're ever feeling down in life, <laughs> I, I think listen to the soundtrack and it, it surely will kind of bring a little bit more uh, pep to your step. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it's used so effectively within the movie, too. I mean, the use of back in the saddle again when he's trying to call for the yeah. date. Like, yeah, that's just great. It um, is. But yeah, the use of Bye Bye Blackbird, it, it's in that scene, it's when they, they look at each other, but they're not right really looking at each other. Um, yeah, they just, they use, they use the music so effectively. Right, yeah. Um, the fourth category is the chase scene, backslash declaration of love, kind of a... Does that even exist in this one? <laughs> well, kind of, you know, it kind of, right. sort of, kind of. I mean, Hanks is definitely, you know, chases his son, uh, you know, to New York City. I mean, that's a good, that is that is a good point. Yeah, yeah no, it gets him. So I, I, this I kind of do envelop into this like ending scene, and like mm. for me, I mean, it's it's five hearts. I I, I don't know how much romanticism was revolved around the empire state building before this movie. But I can imagine all the Valentine's dates or proposals that have happened there since this movie. Oh, infinite, <laughs> infinite proposals. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to undercut the rankings. Uh, so I gave it five. Did you, what did you give it? I'd give it five as well. Okay. Yeah, well, you you convinced me on that one, yeah, because I was kind of like, does it even have? But it does. You're right, because he has to chase Jonah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. weird right really kind of just twisting the convention of it there yeah um uh, yeah. so i have to uh, okay so i'm gonna kind of branch off a, a little bit here a, a couple of notes i had that i knew knew you would probably kind of <laughs> kind of uh, delve on a little bit um a couple of things with jonah and uh, uh tom hanks here when when he tells Jonah to shut up, that kind of like hit me hard in the moment. I, I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine, I can't ever imagine saying shut up to my, to one of my kids. I, I don't know. That might just be me, but yeah, I know. Well, it kind of, yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's pretty jarring. Jonah, the fact is you're not going to like any woman because it isn't your mother. How do you know? What's wrong with Annie? Oh, Jonah, shut up. Shut up. Shut up! Mom never said shut up to me. Mom never yelled at me. The conversation is finished. Why can't we go to New York? There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet some woman who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You wouldn't let me. 
Well, I saw it! At least for me, put it in the context of the way that they're playing the relationship where they're like so close and yeah. they have this banter that, you know, is so intimate and connected but also pretty sarcastic and, you know, in the you know, it, it kind of just goes with that whole situation where Tom Hanks is like yelling about like how he hasn't even slept with very many women, but he's going to get laid this weekend. And then Jonah comes back. He's like, how long have you been there? <laughs> and then he's like, and Jonah says, so I forget what Jonah says. But then Tom Hanks remembers another woman. He's, and he's like, seven, Mary <laughs> Kelly. Shout out. You know, they have a relationship that's so close yeah. yeah and also like so i don't know they're almost like friends but obviously there's a parental thing as well but yeah it kind of fits in all of that with me yeah um and i think you can also phrase it as you know he he's a guy under duress right so you know being in that situation of having to deal with all that yeah yeah probably you could crack pretty easily i would at least i could i, I feel yeah. Like, yeah uh another little moment too is <laughs> <laughs> is when he comes home and uh Jonah's friend uh Jess Jessica she says, I'm like, okay, where are the other parents here? Uh the fact that he just kind of like leaves. Um and no, that's and, such a great I love the moment when he leaves and he's like he feels like he should give them privacy because he's kind of confused and so he shuts the door, but then he comes back and he cracks the door open again because it's just so weird. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I, I love that moment too. I love I, the, the I could say I could say that in that moment they're probably too young to uh you know uh, worry about maybe such things as if the, you know they were mm -hmm. teenagers, but still yeah. the parents side the parent side of me was like uh you know, random kid at my house, you know. Strange uh, child here. Yeah. Okay, another third uh just parent aspect to this movie. How mad <laughs> would you be if your child uh, just got on a plane to New York City. I would be, I think I would be furious, but then the sheer terror yes. of that would overtake that. And if they were alive when I got there, I would, I think I would do just what Tom, yeah, I love Tom Hanks's dialogue there too. Um, like when he just runs up and he hugs him and he's like, we're doing okay, aren't we? Aren't we doing okay? <laughs> And he's just like, he's not sure at that moment. That yeah, maybe yeah. they're not doing okay. Like maybe yeah. they, they're just deeply not okay. Um, <laughs> I just, I love the dialogue. I love the delivery. Um, but yeah, I would be terrified. Oh man. Yeah. It, it totally be that moment of like, you know, just pure anger, but also just pure relief and love at the, like the same time, you know? Uh, so, but I, I honestly, I thought Jonah got off pretty easy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, Jonah was right though. It was like, you know, Annie was yeah. the one. So, you know, at a yeah. certain point when you're like riding down the elevator with Meg Ryan, it's like, you know, Jonah, yeah, I'm going to give you a pass on this one because it kind of is working out. In fact, Jonah has just that to lean on the rest of his life. If anything happens, you know, he'd be like, you know, introduce Dad, you. Dad, remember to when Annie. I introduced you to your soulmate? <laughs> I mean, you're going to ground me? Really? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what's happening? Yeah. Well, I don't think I have a. Uh, I think I can guess what you give the last category, which is the rewatchability factor of this movie. What, what do you give it? Oh, a five of five, but uh, like a surprised five of five because I, you know, I, I, a lot of movies from that time period don't hold up at all. Um, yes. Surprisingly so, right? A movie even that I think will hold up and I watch it again, I'm kind of like, ooh. Yeah. Um, you know, movies that I really love at the time sometimes don't hold up. Um, I tell people that about Inception, right? I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I watched Inception recently. I was kind of like, oh, I don't think that holds up at all. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so but I was I was kind of shocked at how well Sleepless did hold up. I just I felt I felt every part of it. Yeah, I was like this is amazing. Yeah. Um I I hope you don't hold it against me too much. I still feel like I give this like a 4 out of a 5. I do hold because, it against you. I okay. Do. Okay. Because <laughs> despite the despite all the magical moments that you, yeah. you you have reminded me of the magic nathan remember still, the magic there's just still some things as is probably i've seen too many movies in life maybe i'm too cynical but just the moments of like her like in the little hubbard with the phone and 
Walter like catches her and like there's still kind of these like those little mo the scene that you mentioned with the the vehicles and then all of a sudden she's got there's little aspects she's of that just back in baltimore somehow yeah magically. Yeah, yeah but yeah yeah but like you i i was a little surprised at um just how warm and comforting uh this movie is for sure it is so. yeah right it's still you know it maintains that like oh sense to it <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, a per that's a perfect review of this movie. Aww. <laughs> Aww, sleep is in Seattle. I know you have young kids, so you may just be in the world of Pixar and other animated films. But <laughs> yes, it's in My Little Pony. I, if you want to talk about <laughs> My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, I could... I could talk about that for a while. Yeah. Is, is there anything you, you recommend that you, or not just watching, but maybe listening to? Or? I can tell you um, my two favorite movies from last year. How about that? Yeah. Two favorite movies from 2022. Honestly, I haven't seen much this year. Um, but my two favorite movies from 2022 kind of surprised me. Both great in very different ways. Um, Banshees of Inishirin. Yes. Loved it. Um, I don't know if it sent me down a rabbit hole yes. of research about the Irish civil war. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely incredible. Uh, love that movie. I think it should have won the Oscar, um, but that's just me. Um, and I have, and I'll, I'll admit, I have not seen everything everywhere all at once yet. So okay. um, in fairness, I've yeah. heard really wonderful things about it. So I yeah. have not seen that one. Um, but my other top favorite movie, if you just like action and want to see something really freaking fun, is bullet train i love bullet train okay i have to i have to watch that talking about signs mm -hmm. you're probably about the fourth or fifth person that's told me uh to watch bullet train so I, it's a sign it's, it's a sign so miles great no and it you know i think it's it's probably pretty telling of what i admire in movies but like bullet train does a really great job of sort of a similar thing to what sleepless in seattle does which is giving you these little moments that all add up at the end right of like who who brad pitt's character is like as a person but also kind of like as a symbol in the movie yeah. um it's fantastic it's so funny it's so fun the acting is really great the yeah it's just one of those movies that's that's really really fun Okay, well, you have to watch it. I have, I have, to, I have to watch it now for sure. Uh, yeah. Oh wait, hold on, one yeah. more. Yeah, sorry, not to interrupt, but no. I this movie is from a couple of years ago, but I always like to tell people about it because it kind of it came out right at the beginning of the pandemic, and it kind of it went straight to video. Actually, maybe they tried to release it in theaters, and it just utterly failed because it was like twenty late twenty twenty. Okay. Like, who was going to go to a theater in late twenty twenty? Um, and it's the movie Love and Monsters. Okay, I haven't seen that. It is shockingly good. Like, okay. Yeah, it's uh, Dylan O'Brien, who uh, he's not like a big name, but he was the dude from um, the Maze Runner movies. Oh, yeah. Um, And he's so charming in this movie. And it's just got a great sort of simple story, really pretty darn good CGI for what it is. Um. And it's just such a fun movie. I always recommend it to people because it's just one of those, it went totally under the radar. Nobody really knew about it, but I watched it and I just sat there like, this is so fun and amazing. Um, which is just kind of, you know, Banshees of Inishirin aside, like I often just, you know, I want a movie that's going to be like fun and entertaining. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually nominated uh, for Oscar for Best Achievements and Visual Effects. So there um, you go. There you, there go. you go. I yeah, know, uh, but in 2020, uh, did people even watch the Oscar? Did people even know the Oscars existed in 2020? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, my recommendation is kind of one of the movies that's out right now that's real hot that I had a chance to go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and I IMAX. Heard great things about that. Yeah, it, it, it was wonderful. So... Uh, I, I've heard that it puts basically all live action superhero movies to shame to the degree that people are like, why would I go watch a Marvel movie after this? Like this is Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. and I I'm not necessarily someone who's like uh I'm not 
I mean, I, I watch plenty of animated films and are open to them, but I mean, the things that they are visually doing in this movie are pretty outstanding. So yeah. I, despite all the movies I've watched, I also haven't watched tons of 2023 movies, but I can already tell you that's I feel like not that many have come out this year. I'm sure I'm wrong, but it just, it doesn't feel like, well, yeah, I, just, I don't have any in my it, head that I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. It, you know, it's been a lot of, no surprise, just a lot of franchise type of movies and sequels. So like Fast X came out, you know, I, I'm just someone who hasn't seen the Fast and Furious movie, so I'm not going to go see the 10th one, you know? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I heard a lot yeah. of good things about John Wick 4. Also, like I've seen the second one, just, you know, if you're not, if yeah. you, now these franchises have gone so deep that like, if you've missed any of them, you're kind of like, well, I, I'm not going to jump in at the seventh installment of this movie, you know? It's so true, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of the hard thing. But. Yeah. I think all the other John Wick movies too, I've just watched at home. Like, yeah, they're really cool, but they're not necessarily one that I associate with having to go to a theater. Yeah. Necessarily. yeah. Um, actually here's, so here's a movie I want to talk about. Um, I want, I want your take on it. Okay. Before I say anything about it, and I'm I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure that you've seen it, but I I'm guessing it's a really good probability because it was one of the two biggest movies of last year. Top Gun Maverick. Yes. I want to talk about Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Because it made like two billion dollars. Right. And people loved it. Yes. What did you think of Top Gun Maverick? Oh, we really enjoyed it in the moment. Have now? Yeah. Ha, did you see it in the theater? We we saw it in theater as a family okay. in okay. IMAX, and uh, and I haven't on in I IMAX even okay I yeah, think that's important yeah. Yeah, yes yeah. I haven't seen it since then but we just really enjoyed it and honestly um, I, I'm not someone who just grew up loving adoring uh, the first movie Top Gun uh, see see I am actually I like that's <laughs> that's one of my childhood movies that like probably had a bigger effect on me than maybe anything else yeah but but and i know it's cliche to always say they don't make movies the way they used to or whatever but it was the first movie in a long time that i thought was very entertaining but also cheesy but it packaged the cheese and like it just reminded me of uh, early 90s action movie like the rock Mm -hmm. or con air like had these Uh, moments that you know the bunny down right right it just uh had these moments of like you know, there's literally a moment where someone's staring off into the window and it's raining outside and somehow it still all works somehow, you know? So, uh, anyway, uh, but I mean, just, I thought it was extremely entertaining, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so I did not see it in the theater. And I think that's like a big differentiator with that one, because I think that if you saw that in the theater, um, like the last 40 minutes in a theater, I can only imagine, are like just the most thrilling and amazing thing possible. Yeah. Because the last 40 minutes are killer. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I will admit that just watching it at home on TV, my wife and I were sitting there and I like I had heard nothing but great things about it. I'm a huge fan of the original Top Gun. Yeah. Um, and we're sitting there, we're like 50 minutes in. And I'm like, I turn to her and I go, does this suck <laughs> or, or is it, is this me or is this terrible? And it's just like the cheesiness. I think when you're watching it on TV, like the cheesiness is heightened in a yeah. way yeah. where yeah. it's, yeah, it just didn't play for the first hour or so. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they have an important conversation. He and Goose's son have an important conversation while in a, inverted dive <laughs> spinning around each other but the dialogue is hackneyed and terrible and like it's like you gotta let go of the past guy no you have to go let go of the past you killed my dad and it's just kind of like what am i watching this is so dumb <laughs> and i think probably if you're in a theater or something it like the, the grandness of the cinematography yeah. and everything else takes yeah it takes the edge off of that but yeah, yeah it, it's just a funny thing to kind of, you know, think about the different ways that people digest movies now. Yeah. You know, be it at home on your TV or in a theater or on your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. How do you even make a movie that's going to play on all these different yeah. things? Yeah. So, yeah. That's it's, De- yeah. It definitely seen the one thing that stood out to me in the theater. And I know there were visual effects like, 
they're, you know, they were utilized in some form or fashion, but there was a practicality of the movie mm -hmm. in a lot of the flying yep. scenes that uh, I hadn't seen like in this, you know, in 2020 to 2023 in a long time. And so that was something that I, I really liked about it too. It, it felt, yeah. and especially in the IMAX theater with the sound and everything, you know, it was, I mean, even more, even to the point that afterwards, like uh, Whitney, uh, she loved the movie, but her head hurt a little bit after she was like, I have a well, headache. Sure. Yeah, I have yeah. a headache. And I'm like, yeah, because our, <laughs> we've had like rumbling sounds. There were giant <laughs> woofers like destroying <laughs> our brains for the past two hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's, I always like to talk about that one because yeah, I was so ready to be so impressed and uh, yeah, it was, it was just a very different experience on TV. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I jokingly said when we watched it, uh, and like I said, it's been a while, so I can't quite remember. But you know, at the end of Top Gun, he had the picture of him and uh, Iceman uh, embracing at the end. And mm -hmm. I think there's a similar moment at the end of the sequel. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I kept on going, "Who's this photographer who's like taking these uh, just precious moments?" <laughs> the, the aircraft carrier photographer. Every then, aircraft carrier has one. Just yeah, and just, just assuming, that, just maybe Maverick's like uh, pinboard is legendary, and he's like. I, Maverick has to have this photo. Anyway, that's I'm going to take this one in black and white. It's going to be really artistic. <laughs> yeah, that they really leaned heavily into the nostalgia in that movie. Oh, like, yeah. To I don't know, I kind of thought it was almost detrimental to a certain at a certain point. Mm, yeah. You know, like at the end like Goose's son is like talk to me dad, but they never set that up. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you get as an audience, you get it, but then did they earn it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I could go, I could go on and on. But I think, yeah, if if I had if I had seen it in a theater, I probably would have a very different experience with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, next week on the podcast, we're sticking to the '90s, <laughs> and we are going to explore uh, the depths of love again, but also uh, explore the depths of death with four weddings and a funeral, which comes in at number 14 on the best, com best rom-coms list. Uh, Miles, it seems like people either hate or love Andy McDowell. <laughs> Where do you fall on that spectrum? I love, yeah, yeah, I love, I love four weddings and a funeral. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Tune in uh, for that one, people. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. As always, check out moviesorlife.com for episodes, reviews, and more. If you love this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. This really helps us with finding new listeners. And uh, thanks again, Miles, for coming on. I know you have young children, and it's hard to watch movies, and then also, you know, edge out some time to talk about said movies. So I really appreciate it. No, no, they're in bed now. Yeah, yeah. This is my time to to drink and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on podcasts. There you go. Yeah. Well, maybe we can uh, meet in person, either in South Carolina or on the top of the Empire Next State time Building. Next time in, I'll, I'll uh, let you yes, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I choose Empire State Building for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. All right. See you, Nathan. <laughs>